Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to It Never Gets Old, a firsthand account of all things secondhand and sustainable. This is a podcast about the resale, thrift, consignment, world, my expertise as your host, Meredith Feynman, and what it means for your closet, what it means for the planet. The bestie and the Westie producer, Sarah Lane, will be editing this, but I am joined by gray streak icon, TV host, business owner, general woman of everything stacy london hi stacy hello general woman of everything i'm gonna put that on a business card yeah general woman of everything i mean yeah. thank you so much for doing this and for for being here i'm gonna get into a little bit about you but then i want to hear like you know from you who you are to the <laughs> never gets old audience but for those well, of you well, who- i have gotten old so i guess there's that well we like you you're you're <laughs> Uh, Susan McPherson, who we have a backlog through April 2019 when I started this project. But if you listen to our interview with Susan McPherson, said she's kind of secondhand at this point. Yeah, exactly. So for those of you that don't know, Stacey London came into my life on my television through What Not to Wear, which was a prolific TV show on for many seasons throughout the aughts. And I watched her style people and just be sort of brazen and funny and thoughtful and what not to wear was like just a great show about helping people find their personal style without it being shamey or super judgmental. And then Stacey has done a ton of TV since, uh, has launched a couple businesses, currently has her own secondhand object business that I'll have her describe. But Stacey, want to tell It Never Gets Old listeners a little bit about you, I guess? Sure. I mean, if you if you haven't watched not what not to wear, I guess, you know, you've been hiding under a rock for a long time. But um, no, really, you know, it was a makeover show that I still hold my head very highly and proudly about. Um, One of the things that we felt most strongly about in terms of the show was that it was really never about the clothes. It was about what the clothes could do for other people. And in terms of their self-esteem, in terms of the way they saw themselves 
And I really feel like that idea of transformation became very hopeful uh, during the course of the show with every individual that we worked with. And that was, you know, for 10 seasons, it was 10 and a half years that we were shooting the show. And, you know, I took on another show after that called Love Lester Run that didn't obviously have the same kind of popularity. And I only did that for, for three seasons. But it was sort of a continuation of What Not to Wear, but much more personal in the sense that, you know, we used to call on What Not to Wear, we used to call the guests contributors, you know, instead mm-hmm. of victims mm-hmm. or anything mm-hmm. like that. But on um, Love Lester Run, I called them collaborators. And part of that was because it was really the idea of working with young women who, very young, who were, you know, uh, late teens, early 20s, who were just starting to make their way in the world and had sort of a skewed idea of what they were saying to the world in the way that they were dressing. You know, somebody wearing spikes and a ton of leather and a mohawk thinks that they look powerful when that's really sort of maybe not helping them in the general public with where they want to get in life. And, you know, the idea isn't to say you should listen to people's judgments about you, but the idea was simply that we are all working with prehistoric software, right? Our brains are the same as caveman's in that we make a judgment about people in three seconds. And mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't make the rules to the game, but it is very difficult to wear whatever you want in every circumstance and get what you want. So mm-hmm. I became very concerned with this idea of, you know, I didn't, I didn't make the game or the rules, but I want you to win. And so to do that, let's figure out a way for you to control the narrative of your style in order to speak the same language as other people. So that when you say tough and authoritative, tough and authoritative is what comes across, not Mm -hmm. crazy. So that was sort of the second part of it was this kind of more how people express themselves and how people see that expression and understand that expression. You know, and obviously I've done, uh, not obviously, if you don't know me, I've done a lot of style work in my early years for the Today Show and The View and Access Hollywood and used to work for Oprah and things like that. So I have quite a bit of experience in, in making people over. In this day and age, I don't think that that makes a hoot of difference since social media. I think that we don't care so much about expertise anymore as much as we care about shared experience. And that's sort of the rise of the blogger. So my, you know, whatever, 10,000, 100,000 million hours of experience dressing people doesn't necessarily help somebody who isn't looking for how-to information, but more of that me too information. Mm. Um, and I mean that as in the serious hashtag, but also just in the in the idea concept of me too. I feel this way about myself. I look for people who have a similar aesthetic and that's who I want to follow or that's where I look for my style advice. And that's a very different concept than watching somebody on TV tell you rules or or things like that so there's been this real shift in what fashion is able to do and the way that people consume fashion content um and it's it's just changed drastically since i started in television that was 2002 yeah i mean that's so i guess 
my one of my questions was going to be like, you know, if what not to wear was on right now, what do you think it would look like? I don't know. I mean, I I I know that there is a rumor that TLC is bringing it back, so oh. you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with it. Um, mm. You know, similar to Queer Eye, I assume they're going to do something that is a little bit more modern and timely. Right. Um, but you know, again, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was on Bravo. Queer Eye then went to Netflix, and very rightly so, I think recast it. Um, but you know, they also took on much bigger issues. They sure. took on much yes. bigger social issues because that audience demanded it. I mean, they yeah. they want there to be. The, the background in a story of somebody getting made over. Sorry, you might have heard my dog bark in the background. <laughs> it's okay. My dog but, sometimes barks in the background, too. Yeah, that's Dora. But, um, <laughs> you know, this idea that we need to take on bigger issues while talking about making people over. Because it's, again, not just about one person. From the individual comes the universal. So when you're dealing with somebody who has experienced homophobia or racism or any of the things that, you know, sort of socioeconomic different backgrounds, those are things that are absolutely at the forefront of discussion. And Queer Eye is a way to make them palatable to people and mm -hmm. for to open people's minds a little bit. What Not to Wear, we definitely tried to do that, but it was a different time. We weren't having the same kind of conversations about sexuality and gender, things like that, that we're having today. So by necessity, the show had to have been different. So I'm assuming that What Not to Wear, the new version will have to be different too. So for someone who is listening to It Never Gets Old and you have such a wealth of knowledge and experience on styling, I think the listenership really runs the gamut of style obsessives to people trying to dip a toe into what it means to, you know, buy and sell secondhand or get dressed in a certain way. Where do you tell people to start when considering personal style? I mean, that's a huge question, but it's not as complicated as you would think. To be honest, I think that a lot of people who, whether you're dipping your toe in um, or not, when it comes to your personal style, you know, you can have all the likes that, you know, all the preferences in the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to look good on you. So mm -hmm. where you have to start from when you are starting with your personal style, particularly if you don't know what you want your style to be, is um, you have to start with your body and work with your body. What are the most flattering shapes, colors, types of clothing that work on your body? That is where the best personal style starts. Not from looking in a magazine and saying, wow, I love what Jennifer Aniston is wearing because that looks great on Jennifer Aniston. Now, if you look like Jennifer Aniston's doppelganger and you're exactly the same size as her, then great. Then you'll probably look good in what she's wearing. But otherwise, you can take inspiration from that and say, ooh, that color looks great on her. I have similar color eyes. Or I like the general modern um, minimal style that she has. I'm going to look for things like that that flatter my figure. But you always have to start and end with yourself. No matter how many inspirations you get from other people, no matter how many colors you like, they may look better in your house or as drapes. You have to figure that stuff out. Some people may love yellow in their kitchen or their bathroom, but yellow is like the worst color they could possibly wear. So you have to understand that your preferences don't necessarily translate into what's best for your personal style until you work with your body type, your hair color, your skin color. Um, all of those things are going to play into what looks best on you. How would you describe your personal style? 
Oh my God, my personal style is so different. You know, I mean, when I was on What Not To Wear, certainly my public persona was high heels and pencil skirts and, you know, sheath dresses and all of that. And now I wear a lot of sneakers and a lot of jumpsuits and a lot of jeans. I mean, who's I'm making I'm, who's making your jeans, jumpsuits and sneakers or do you have some favorite <laughs> brands? Oh my God, I have, I get, don't even get me started. By far, my favorite brand of jeans right now is B-Sides. They're, they are a small company that makes sort of this incredible custom denim from uh, vintage denim. And it's, they do Perfect. beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work. Yeah, absolutely stunning. And they have a company, they have a couple of different, they do have a website, but they also sell to a, a, a bunch of different stores. But you can go on and see they change. They have some styles they keep every season and then mm-hmm. some new styles every season. They do wonderful stuff. Well, I have um, an obsession then, with vintage denim and I've talked about it extensively. So I will definitely check it out and link it in the show notes for any listeners yes. that want to know. Um, and also, I, 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 I'm sure you know about the dig rig. Do you know? No, him? what's that? Oh, well, you can check him out on Instagram. He has a van in Venice, California with the most incredible vintage denim I walked into that van. I was so hot and sweaty and I still totally undressed to try on vintage Wranglers that, by the way, are one of the dopest pair of jeans that I own. And then not for nothing, I love Levi's. Me too. To this day, I love what they're doing. I love what they stand for. I just, I really, I, I, and made well. Those are two brands Mm -hmm. that I think modern brands that are reasonably priced that are doing great jeans and they're very current in the way that they, you know, they keep up Mm -hmm. with sort of what's going on in fashion. Those are things that I love. In terms of jumpsuits, um, I'm obsessed with Rachel Antonoff and Condi and the salting and Elena Cohn is but like one of my all time, all time faves. That's great because especially for talks, I only wear jumpsuits and I like joke about being there to teach people to brag better and also change their oils. So this is great fodder for me. Yes, yes. Well, those are the, those are ones that I'm super, super into. Okay. Um, but I also do love vintage. You know, I have yep. like a great mechanics jumpsuit that I adore. So again, I don't wear as much vintage clothing as I used to when I, 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 I have a whole passion for vintage clothing that we can talk about. Yeah. But it's one of those things where you know, vintage can get very expensive and pricey if you find something that you love that doesn't fit correctly. Because Mm -hmm. tailoring vintage takes a lot of expertise. It takes a very delicate hand and some things just are too expensive to alter. So I try to be very careful and very deliberate with my vintage purchases now, but I also just in general try to consume a whole lot less. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about the choice to consume less and where that came from. And obviously that digs into all the sustainable stuff we talk about. Um, sure, when, sure. when did that happen? Um, I think that happened the less that I started being on television. In the last five years, you know, I've dealt with some pretty heavy stuff, including spine surgery and losing my dad. And I really started to see the world in a very different way. And a lot of the things that had seemed and felt very important to me in terms of my career and ambition and things like that have changed. And my priorities have changed. And having the latest shoe or the newest bag literally means next to nothing to me. And I started to realize, like, I have been, you know, as part of my career, 
I have been a great consumer, which is in some ways really good for the economy. But when I turn around and I see the excess of things that I've had, Mm -hmm. um, I used to do a sale every year that I knew I didn't need in my closet that somebody else would thoroughly enjoy because maybe I wore it once was something that I felt really strongly about. I wanted people to have the opportunity to to buy things um, inexpensively that would have been sort of maybe out of reach before. They were things being bought for me for commercials that I was in or Mm -hmm. television shows that I was doing. And, you know, I could I could sell them and raise money and give it to charity. And the more I started to realize that that was something that I could do not only every year and give it to charity, I usually give things to um, animal charities when I when I have big sales. I would take the money that I made and I would match it and then I would donate it. But one of the things that really truly struck me is that I could take out literally what seemed like seven racks of clothes from my closet and still have closets full of clothes. Mm-hmm. And at some point you realize like, well, how how many more things do you need? And right. even when you're getting rid of things, a lot of people say to me, their philosophy is one thing in, one thing out. And maybe that works for them. But I find that I my tendency was to have too many things coming in and not enough going out. And holding on to things um, has never been like a, for sentimentality has never really been a thing for me. In the last couple of years, I have gained a lot of weight and I am stubbornly refusing to get rid of a few things. I'm breaking my own rules here Mm because I would never say, don't hold on to anything that kind of weighs on you psychologically, but I'm convinced that those are clothes I'm going to get back into. So I refuse to get rid of them, which is so. Really, what are you uh, like? What helpful. are what's a piece that you're refusing to get rid of because you love so much? Oh my god! Well, actually, just pick a lot one, I guess. Vintage, yeah. Well, a lot of my vintage dresses, I just mm. won't get rid of. None of them have stretch. You know, they were all right. like they're either fine silk or fine lace or or great polyester, but like you know, they're just too great, and I can't let go of them. And there's a ton of jeans that I love that I just refuse to let go of. I refuse. And, you know, it's I'm not doing anybody any harm except myself by holding on to them because (laughs) psychologically it's a little bit of a a stressful thing. But I'm also in the meantime, I just did a huge edit in my closet and I finally said, you know, it's probably time to get rid of the 25 inch jeans. I'm probably not going to fit into those again. And where do you sell these days? Do you sell? Do you give to friends? You said you have. Yeah. Well, I do. I do a little. I do a little bit of everything, right? And, you know, we I want to be careful about, like, donating clothes to send them to other countries. I, you know, I think that there's a lot of discussion about the fact that that's actually not helpful at all in uh, sustainable clothing. So mm-hmm. I do like to give things to people who I know need things or, you know, don't have a ton of money to spend, extra money to spend on clothing. But then when I have pieces that are high designer that I feel like I can't just give away, then I usually put them on consignment. Mm -hmm. I am a huge fan of a place in Brooklyn called Consignment Brooklyn, but I've also Uh, worked with- Eva Gentry's store, yeah. Yeah, I know her. Eva's a great friend and I love working with her, but I also- I've probably bought some of your stuff, frankly. Yeah, (laughs) maybe you have. Maybe you have. I mean, a few, a couple of months ago, I gave her 27 pairs of shoes. And that was also, that was a real turning point for me because, you know, those were all four and five inch heels. Those were all the crazy heels that I used to wear. And I I mean, I have psoriatic arthritis now. There's a lot of things I can't do that I used to do. And that's not to say like my life is over at 50, but 
I am very realistic about the fact that um, my whole life has changed and it's changed in ways that I did not predict. It's changed in ways that I wasn't hoping for, but it also means sort of learning how to dress in a way that feels appropriate to my life now, which mm-hmm. is a lot more casual. You know, I'm not, I, I don't have that many fucks to give. So I, don't, <laughs> I'm not, I, I'm not out to impress people in the same way that I felt like I needed to when I was, you know, sort of running around trying to figure out which TV show I was going to do next. Totally. Well, where are you of the few things that you are buying? Where are you shopping and particularly where are you secondhand vintaging those great dresses? Like, do you have some recommendations for listeners either in New York or online or you've been all over? But I would love to hear sort of where you're shopping. Oh, my God. Okay, I wish I could. I mean, I might have to send you that whole list, but I will. I would kill for that list (laughs) that that, you know, one of my favorite um, things and, and the way that I really started to learn so much about vintage was through going to a current affair which is a vintage fair that takes place in New York and LA and San Francisco uh, twice a year in each of those cities. And I think they're, they're maybe adding one more show. But those are sort of like the top 80 dealers in vintage. So things are, remember, very curated for you. They're not incredibly inexpensive. But if you are looking for great, great, great vintage, that is one place I highly recommend starting. If you are in one of those cities or if you plan on traveling to one of those cities, definitely go to the uh, Current Affair, either Instagram or website, and find out when one of those fairs is going to be in your area. It is a great education in sort of A, how to buy vintage, because a lot of these things have already been vetted for you. So they're either in mint condition or really great condition. Uh, They can tell you a lot about the history of the pieces. Some are designers, some are not. A lot of vintage dealers deal in a way that I I say is kind of predictive in the sense that they look at what's going on trend-wise currently and try to find pieces that speak to that trend from an earlier time. So, you know, I don't know, let's say patchwork coats are really big at the moment. They'll go back and source patchwork coats from the 70s. And so you feel like you're getting something special. But at the same time, a lot of vintage dealers and a lot of the fun of vintage isn't in being predictive. It's in finding things that nobody else has. You know, there's two ways to do this. But I think that one, um, a current affair is a great sort of base level education. The first couple of times that I went to that fair, I literally bought everything that I saw because I was so afraid, like I'd never find it again. And over the years going to the fair, I realized like I I need to act like a tourist. I'm just there to look around. And if I find one or two really special postcards, then I buy them. So how does someone know since you're at such an expert level, like let's say you're newer, like how do you know that those are super special postcards? Like what is your checklist for that? That can be highly personal. But Mm -hmm. one of the things is that, you know, really a, is this something that I am going to wear? Like not just, is it pretty and fragile and going to fall apart? after two wears? Or is it something that I love that I actually just want to hang on a closet door and look at? Is there use value here? And is this, you know, then you have to think about like, all the things that I used to say about financials, cost per wear. Is this something that isn't going to disintegrate so quickly that you'll be able to wear it and use it and and keep, you know, care of it lovingly? And what void does it fill for you? 
right? I mean, my whole thing way before Marie Kondo was to say that anything in your closet should should really have, you know, at least have one of two criteria. It, it should either have incredible use value or be there because it's so joyful, right? Mm-hmm. So ideally you want both, but with vintage, I find that it's usually more about joy than it is about use, right? We don't want to wear our vintage pieces all the time because usually they're not as in great shape unless they're total dead stock as something that's current. So we want to be careful with them. We want to savor them. I find that I go for pieces that are a little bit more out there than I would, you know, unless I was buying vintage denim. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. That's a different category or vintage t-shirts. But when I buy vintage, I look for cocktail dresses. I look for incredible coats. I look for lots of glitter and sparkle, things that really feel special to me that, um, you know, maybe were made by hand or beaded by hand, things that we don't see that often anymore. Okay. So two things. One, you clearly have an affinity for vintage dresses, which I am not a dress person. Tell me what makes a great vintage dress for you. Oh, God, that's really hard to uh, also <laughs> hard to answer. I mean, there's a lot of things that make a great vintage dress for me. As I said, I love things that are sparkly. I'm a big fan of the 70s. Not so much like hippy dippy trippy 70s. A little bit more key party 70s is my vibe. What's uh, the difference? I'm sorry? I said, what's the difference? Oh, what's the difference between hippy dippy trippy and key party? Well, I think um, for I, I kind of understand, but I want to make sure that people listening would understand the difference between that. Right. I'm not looking for like um, cotton, you know, tie dyed or batik long prairie skirts. I'm looking more for like wild pattern, long dresses with pockets and big collars. Got it. Sometimes they're more polyester, uh, less cotton. And it's also different things. Like I look for beading or I look for, I I do love, I guess the one sort of, I can't really call it hippy dippy trippy, but the one thing that I do love are very, very thin cotton, transparent 1920s, like Hungarian peasant dresses that all have that beautiful embroidery on them. I think those are stunning. And I, I, I look for lots of interesting embroidery, lots of different silhouettes. I do have some incredible 70s jumpsuits that like Cher would wear, you know, that mm-hmm. have halters that have huge bell bottom uh, legs, things like that. I look for something that's dramatic. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm buying jeans or t-shirts or something that's like right. specific to, you know, something very casual, I usually look for the more dramatic stuff. This is very difficult probably for you, but do you have a favorite vintage dress? No. <laughs> I mean, I, absolutely not. I there's there's one that I'm thinking of that's that's sort of like a mocha color that has silver thread that runs through it that's absolutely mm. beautiful with sort of like a fan sleeve. And then I do have this one dress that again I haven't worn because I just can't wear it right now. It's a sack, a deep, deep V in the front and a deep, deep, deep uh, V in the back, and it's just a white straight dress that's made of. 100% like the thinnest silk. It's Ooh. two layer. And I mean, I if I ever got married, I'd probably wear that. Um, mm-hmm. It's just stunning. It looks like old Zoran or, or Calvin Klein. It's just beautiful. But you know, my hips right now are not are not interested in letting me wear it. Well, it sounds like a great thing to keep in case of certain occasion. So I want to switch gears a little bit to your new venture, Small Beautiful Things. And it's your newest project, 
tell me a little bit about what it is and where it came from, why you started it. Sure. Um, well, it's a little bit that, you know, I've been doing clothing for a long time and it's not like that I'm ever going to stop loving clothing. But for me, clothing is much more and always has been much more about the transformative property of it since doing what not to wear. I'm less materialistic and much more interested in the psychology of clothing. But having said that, I have always been a collector, always. And when I say that it's not just a collector of clothing, that was not always a, as consistent as my collection of cool barware or fun objects. And I've always loved to go thrifting and find weird things that, you know, just didn't make sense to have in an, in an apartment other than whether you liked them. You know, whether it was like plaster hands or a weird horse or whatever it was. And I love to do it so much that at one point I was like, well, why am I just not doing this all the time? I, I, I mean, I can't do it all the time, obviously. It's still sort of a side hustle for me. And in my travels, I find things all the time that I love to give to other people. I don't, I, I love to, I love the hunt. I love finding the cool thing, but I don't need to keep it. So, right. and I have lots of things that I've already kept. So now it's become a lot more about this idea of, well, if you love thrifting, if you love collecting so much, why don't you find objects that other people are going to want? And cool things that, you know, we're not, I'm not trying to be Christie's or Sotheby's. I'm not looking for, oh, that's Dora and her toy. Dora, <laughs> can, can I give you these French fries later? Okay. That's <laughs> not working yet. <laughs> So, you know, one of the ideas was like, look, this is a way for me to always be looking and searching and hunting and doing the things that I love most, right, which is really, which is treasure hunting. But now I can acquire them, I can have inventory. And, you know, I thought, why not start selling them? And, you know, some people may just buy them because they like the shop and other people who either develop a personal relationship with us or already have one with me, I can start targeting the kinds of things that they're looking for. And barware was always a big thing for me. I just didn't okay. know how much I love. I don't know. I love old cocktail glasses like I love the it's not Mad Men for me it's much more like Auntie Mame and you know, you know top drawer and the idea of like the way cocktails used to it, the culture of it was so chic and it's not just that I love old smoking sets not because I'm interested in encouraging people to smoke I just love the way they look there are all sorts of things perfume bottles I mean they're cigarette cases and boxes and I'm just looking at all of the stuff now that I have yeah. like in my apartment, which is like decanters and all of these crazy and amazing cordial sets that you find. Czechoslovakian glass from the 1930s is unreal. It's so fascinating in the workmanship that goes into it and ceramics from the 1970s that are Italian. It's just like it goes on and on and on. So There's for small, beautiful history. things, like how does it work right now? So you have private people buying from you that you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have an Instagram page. It's called, you know, small underscore beautiful underscore things underscore NY. Um, and you can buy directly from the from the site. We just ask people to DM us and then, you know, we do the transaction from there. Cool. And, and really it's everything. It's mostly, it's homeware, it's objects. Mm -hmm. And the idea really behind it also was, again, I'm getting a little sick of the condo philosophy of right. you know, clutter, declutter, declutter until 
the homes are becoming a little bit sterile. And then to find out that she's making product after telling people to get rid of product was so um, hypocritical to me. When, you know, there's so much product already in the world, like animals and babies, and maybe we should find all of them homes before we start making more. All this incredible history in the products that I'm finding and the objects that I'm finding, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a little bit different to have an incredible set of scotch glasses than going to Urban Outfitters or Pottery Barn or West Elm right. or, or, or CB2. Not that those companies aren't doing interesting things. It's just that there is the opportunity to have a much more interesting style at least weaved into your other kind of commercial products. And one that does a lot to save the world from making more things, which Mm -hmm. again is sustainable in and of itself. And also there's something really interesting about the idea that a lot of these pieces for me have been protected and handed down by women. And it's not so much that you see, you know, men wrapping up champagne glasses and like passing them down from generation to generation. And I've been finding like real interest in Victorian silver. The other thing is that this is an education for me. It's not just like I decided, wow, I'm just going to sell people things. Like once I realized what I was starting to gravitate towards and the things that I liked, I really started to do my homework about those things. And, you know, the difference between, I don't know, you know, what a deco perfume bottle looks like as opposed to an Art Nouveau perfume bottle and how you know whether something is an original as opposed to a reproduction of an original. And that reproduction may still be really appealing, but just mm-hmm. to know the difference. I'm, I could be, I could find, like I found these cool plastic placeholders um, place card holders for the 1960s for a dinner party. They're plastic. It's not like they're precious, but they're super cool and I've never seen anything like them. So those are the things you're going to find on my site. Almost everything is under $500. There are a few things that are under 1000 And, you know, the idea is to kind of create a site where one, you always want to come back and see what's new. Two, Mm -hmm. that, you know, you can ask us to help you find something really original, like an original gift idea for somebody who, let's say, has everything and Mm -hmm. you want to get them something quirky and unique. But also there's this idea that honestly, you, you know, can infuse something into your life that, that has a past, that has a history that really speaks to you. Because the one thing that I do see as a connection between fashion and environment is that sense that you want to feel beautiful and you want to feel safe. And maybe it even, you know, because when I talk about clothing, I'm like, it's your armor against the world, right? You're having a bad day. Wear something that makes you feel fabulous. But it's the same thing with objects in your home. Mm -hmm. This idea that there is a way to create environment that's even more possibly intimate than your clothing, because you don't have to share your your personal environment with the whole world. You know, it's for you. You and I both know Cindy Gallup, uh, and she is a woman who speaks her mind all the time. And one of the things that she said to me about her new apartment, which is called the Sky Apartment, mm-hmm. um, was that... I know, I haven't seen it yet. I'm dying to see it. Oh, it's incredible. But when you, when she said, when you close the door, when you get home at the end of the day, you want to be able to turn around and look in your apartment and say, that's why I put up with all the shit outside, mm-hmm. right? You come back to a place that feels like not just home, that it's like a womb, that it's your safe space. And that should be decorated with things that delight you. 
And it's sure. not, you know, and it, some of that may be things that are, are new and, you know, I'm not knocking all new production, but we forget how many beautiful things there are that already exist in the world. And that I like the idea of objects that don't necessarily have any use value that you just like to look at them. And, you know, it's almost like artwork. So those are the things that uh, appeal to me. And I had the possibility to do this and I thought, well, why not? Why not do it? Why not try it? So now, small beautiful things. I know you had a pop up. You have this Instagram. Yeah, we, uh, we have been doing a couple of pop ups. We did them as um as traditional pop ups. Like we did the Eva Gentry has another store that's just an empty space, and we did a couple pop ups there. But we're also working on. Um, immersive experiential pop-ups. So the very first one I did was a beta launch was in a penthouse that was for sale that was old and kind of falling apart, but it had like a magnificent mirrored great room. And the idea was that you came to the apartment and it was like you were peeping Tom. You could look at everything and everything was for sale. So Mm -hmm. the theme was Auntie Mae meets Grey Garden. And we want to be able to do things like that where we go in and kind of create an immersive shopping experience for you especially when we can do them in either apartments that are for sale or old homes or where we can create an environment. So there's this, um, I don't know if you've heard of American Dream. I can't even call it a mall. It's, uh, it's like this, it's like the Emerald City rising in next to Met Stadium in New Jersey. Um, It has a water park and it has, oh, uh, I have a children's park, right? But, you know, what they have these beautiful spaces in throughout the the property itself with gardens that you can cut through and sit in. And they have these areas that, you know, are beautifully tiled. And we're going to wind up doing a pop up with them. So we're going to come in and, you know, sort of decorate it and maybe maybe sort of a shabby chic kind of country way, Mm -hmm. but something that fits that environment. And then we'll put inventory into it that really matches that environment. So we want to be able to do, you know, eventually maybe we'll do Tupperware parties and trunk shows for people. All, again, with the idea of looking for something for someone that you may not be able to find or or you it wouldn't have occurred to you. Or you could call me and say, Stacy, I need a gift for so-and-so who loves this, but everybody buys him stuff that's golf, right? I want to mm-hmm. buy him something cooler than that, but we would talk about what else would be, you know, I don't know, uh, something about his personality or his character. And we could say, here's five other ideas we have for you. So everyone can follow you on this Instagram, you know, yes, stay, stay posted on the, on the pop-ups, but tell it never gets old listeners where else to stalk you and find you and contact you. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you can always stalk me and find me at Stacey London Real on Instagram, which is really, to be fair, the only um, social media platform I use these days very much. Again, just just considering a lot of the things that have happened in the past few years, I used to be, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm no longer an activist, but I was very, very outspoken and I just had to take some time off because the <laughs> things with, with politics have been more than upsetting. That doesn't mean I'm giving up. I just had to like sort of take a pause and Twitter was getting so heated. It was very hard. It's a very hard platform to be on. And I, yeah, I just haven't been on Facebook in years. So Instagram is definitely the place to find me. So a podcast is about to drop in a week or so called could be better TBH, um, which is actually a podcast that I did in conjunction with the crisis text line uh, organization and the Jed foundation. 
Um, I sit on the board of the Jed Foundation. I have always been concerned with mental health, but in the last five years, I, I have really struggled with anxiety and depression, and it's become increasingly clear to me that there's just too many people in the population who don't have access to good mental health care. JED, obviously, is a foundation that's always worked on mental health and care for students in college. Now we're working um, and to prevent suicide, and now we're working with kids in high schools. And Crisis Text Line has basically become the fastest um, helpline in the world because kids don't want to talk on the phone. They want to text. And right now it's only available in the United States, but they are going to go global. And the idea is that you can text somebody and talk to a trained counselor 24-7 about any problems that you're having. And it's free and it, you know, both of those things meant a great deal to me. And I think we're living in a time and in a world right now where there are a lot of problems, not just politically, but climate change. And we talk about, you know, sustainability. I think these things are starting to weigh on people so heavily that there's been a real shift in psychology. We need to address it and we need to address what what people are going through. So this new podcast tries to do that in a really hopeful, helpful way. And I interviewed professors and celebrities and all sorts of people who, you know, have struggled with things that could have been better. And to talk about that honestly and to talk about how they got through it and, and how to get help. Well, that's great. And I will list all of this in the show notes. So, Stacey, thank you so much for taking the time. And everybody, check out Small Beautiful Things and, you know, keep us posted on what you're up to. Thanks so much. I will. Thanks, Meredith. It was lovely to talk to you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.